on this episode of TR Talk. Success comes from knowing what it takes to be a peak performer, to learn a hard skill and, and then achieve peak performance at it. You did it, people. We're back on another episode of TR Talk Podcast, where we interview leaders in their field to learn how millennials can get their shit together and make something happen in this world. This week, we have James Altucher, and this guy is a fucking nut, all right, in the best possible way. We love James Altucher. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He has a podcast where he hosts Tim Ferriss, Richard Branson, Gary Vaynerchuk, and he's made and lost 15 million bucks a couple times. Really enjoy this one and hope you guys do too. want to give a quick shout out to our TR Talk Fan of the Week, Eric E.A. Ashcraft. Hills from Moline, Illinois, home of the Maroons, my pops' alma mater. Eric, thank you for the love and support. Keep doing what you do, baby. As always, if you want to support the podcast and keep these sweet sounds trickling through those earbuds, you can go to iTunes, leave a subscription, excuse me, subscribe, leave a review, and post us to the interwebs via social media. Thank you for everything, and now let's get into this interview with James Altucher in New York City. Welcome to the show, James. Hey, thanks a lot, you guys, for having me on. I really appreciate it. No problem. Now, James, there are so many stories that we could talk about today. You've made and lost millions several times in your career. You've authored 17 books. You're a New York Times bestseller. You used to run a hedge fund, but we want to go way back. Let's go back to let's let's do it back to 1998. You just sold your company, a web design company, cashed out for 15 million. You're taking private helicopters to Atlantic City and back on the weekend. Oh, do you have to remind me of all this? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a valuable story for the audience, James. (laughs) And then 12 weeks later, you have 143 bucks left in your account. Can you take us back there? What'd you learn? What was that like? It wasn't exactly uh, 12 weeks. It was more, it was more like uh, 12 months later. It was the, it was the summer of 2000 was the, was a bad summer for me, but um, uh, it was, it's horrible because now look, there's obviously many more horrible things in life. You can get sick. You can lose a loved one. You can lose an important relationship, uh, stuff like that. But, I had worked really hard for years and years and years and built up a good company and sold it. And I thought, okay, this is what I worked for. Like I killed myself to, to make this money and more money than I deserved. I had, I had essentially won a lottery in the internet boom. And although I should say we were a profitable company, which is probably our biggest mistake. If we were unprofitable, we would have made even more money, but then maybe, I, maybe, I would have, maybe I would have blown more money. But uh, uh, it was just, it just felt really bad because I had two kids and I wanted to support my family. And I, I kind of associated my self-worth with my net worth. And I just felt like, I just felt like I was the worst person in the world. And then my father had gotten sick and I thought if I had only had some money, I could help him. Like I was dead broke after having, you know, millions and millions, like generational wealth. And I couldn't even afford diapers for my kids. And so it was just, it's just horrible. Just you think you're the worst person in the world. And again, I know people have it much worse. This is a sort of a privileged kind of problem. I, I, was, 
I was both lucky and maybe a little bit smart building this company and selling at the right time, but then I did everything wrong at the right time too. And how do you go about picking yourself up at that point? Is that when you develop the four principles? Well, I would say I was using, I started using them inadvertently. I I said to myself, I mean, I was depressed for a really long time. And then I said, look, I've got to snap out of this. So I've got to, so I started going to sleep early, waking up early, getting in shape because you, you, so, so my four principles, it's physical, emotional, creative, and for lack of a better word, it's called spiritual. And so physical is eat, move, sleep. So I had to make sure I was eating well, moving well, and sleeping well. Neither, none of those things I was doing. On the way down, I was doing none of those things. I was drinking too much. I was not sleeping well, not exercising at all, and just everything falls apart. And you would think, why would it fall apart because of that? Well, it just does because you constantly have to be on the lookout for good ideas and for bad ideas so to make sure they don't hurt you. And if you're sick in bed, you're going to mostly have bad ideas and not be able to act on the good ideas. The other thing was is that I had to be around good people. Um, and I wasn't necessarily. And so it's really important to be around people you love and people who love you. This is extremely important. And you wouldn't think, oh, what does that have to do with business? It has 100% to do with business. Like every entrepreneur knows and should know that the product and product development, that's important. But that's like, okay, you get the product done and you start selling it and boom, you're in business. But in order to sell to customers, in order to deal with employees, in order to deal with investors, in order to deal with acquirers, in order to deal with partners and partnerships, you you need to know how to emotionally deal with people. That's 95% of running a successful business. And so emotional was very important. I hadn't been working on that muscle. And then creativity if you're not com- people say, oh, ideas are a dime a dozen, execution is everything. This is not true at all. It's very hard to come up with a good idea. If you don't use your idea muscle, it atrophies within weeks or days. So you have to constantly exercise your idea muscle. And in order to do that, you have to write down, and what I started doing was, I started writing down 10 bad ideas a day. So you're not gonna have good ideas, you're gonna have mostly bad ideas. But you have to just practice coming up with ideas. And it's really hard to come up with 10 ideas a day. And by the way, execution ideas are just a subset of ideas. Let's say you have a good idea. Well, what are the next steps? Those are ideas too. If your next step is, oh, call Warren Buffett and ask for money. Well, that's a bad idea. That's a, that's a bad execution idea. If your next step is, well, let's test this out and make a prototype on Fiverr for $20. That's probably a decent first step. So, um, you know, execution ideas, again, are a subset of ideas. And spiritual. I kept spending so much time depressed and regretting the past and being anxious about the future. None of those feelings are going to give me energy to come up with my next business or next ideas. So you have to have a way of, of basically saying, look, this happened, but life is short and you know, I need to be, I need to be positive, but realistic and move forward in my life. And that's kind of a spiritual component. And so that's important too. The the more time you spend in regret and anxiety, 
the more energy you steal away from all of your future ideas. So yeah, I, I started inadvertently doing that, but then it took going broke several times in a row after that before I was able to say, hey, what's working when it goes up, when I'm going up, and what's not working when it goes down? And then I was able to kind of codify what I was doing. Yeah, and that's that's great. And you know, really, one of the things that sticks out to us is um, going back to the ten ideas a day. And I've actually, I read that from you, and I've I've incorporated that in my own um, life, I guess, on a daily basis, or I've tried to. And it's it's harder than you would think to write down ten ideas. And for me, it's harder to even come up with what should the the ten ideas be for that day because I want it to be the perfect thing that's going to set me on the path to do great things when it probably doesn't need to be that important. Um, how do you come up with on a given day like today, what you're going to write about or what those ideas are going to stem from? Well, well, you know, it it is hard. Like I usually, if you're really challenging yourself around, you know, the first two or three ideas will be easy around idea seven. It starts getting really hard for me. Like I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go back and I'll, I'll keep counting. Did I get to 10 yet? You know, and I'll, oh no, just eight, uh, nine. I got to come up with one more. And you can't just do like a, an idea you know in your mind is like a BS idea just to, just to get through the 10. You have to really challenge yourself. So I don't know, a sample list might be, um, you know, 10 businesses you could build around Bitcoin or, uh, you know, here's 10, hit 10 chapter titles for a book I want to write about music. I'm just making this up. Mm-hmm. So today, uh, well, I have a podcast coming out that I did with Richard Branson, and so I'll do ten things I learned from Richard Branson. It's, so, it's that that's probably one that's hard to limit to ten. I'm I'm guessing from a conversation with him. Probably, yeah. Uh, but you know, you'd be surprised. Like, it's hard to I have to remember, so it's hard to remember. It's hard to remember anything. Like, if you read a book, what percentage of the book do you think you remember? very less than one percent yeah i would say on average and this is like for true for everyone on average it's about one percent and so if you say well what did i learn from this book you might remember like the key point but it's a it's hard to remember the 10 things you learned from the book yeah and so you you mentioned um the podcast and ryan i've been listening to it a lot recently and that you have richard branson which i'm pretty excited about he's a um you know, big inspiration for both of us. But what I noticed about the podcast that you run is you have such a wide diversity of folks that you have on. I mean, like last week you had Mike Posner for for people that aren't uh, familiar. He's a white, you know, musician, but mostly a rapper. Um, but it, it stems from a lot of different guests. But I'm curious, how do you choose who you want to interview? Because it just covers such a wide variety of people. Well, I'm very, I'm really fascinated by peak performance. Like, success doesn't come from having a good product and selling it and then selling your company. Although, you know, many people view that as a shortcut and some people actually do succeed at that. I think it's relatively rare. Success comes from knowing what it takes to be a peak performer, to learn a hard skill and and then achieve peak performance at it. So, for instance, when you're building a business, there's a lot of micro skills. For instance, managing product development, 
Another skill is getting better at scale at sales. Another skill is getting better at negotiation. These are all very, very difficult skills. And when I say difficult, I mean maybe it's a hard way to define what difficult is, but maybe I mean there's 20 different levels where if you're at level X, you're significantly better than whoever is at level X minus one. And so, so, so I want to understand when I talk to people who have achieved peak performance in what area of life, at whatever area of life, I might not be interested in their area. Like when I talk to Tony Hawk, I'm not interested in skateboarding, but I'm interested. What does it take to, uh, you know, be the world champion of skateboarding for 13 years in a row, and then switch that to be one of the, you know, help design one of the best-selling video games in history. So, what's the language of peak performance? If I if I want to learn something new, like, you know, I want to take that language that I've learned from other people, from the hundreds of people I've interviewed, and apply that to that new skill that I've learned, so I can learn even faster. Because speed of learning is very important. Well, and when you think about all those interviews you've done, and for the folks who haven't listened to the podcast yet, what are some key takeaways that that you've learned over the years? Well, I think it's very important to have a mentor. It's very important to have what I call a plus minus equal. So have, have people who teach you. Now, it doesn't mean that the mentor is standing right there and telling you to, you know, wax on, wax off, like in the karate kid or anything like that. Like yeah. it, it could be virtual mentors. Like you have to read a lot, like for virtual mentors. Um, but having a plus, like people you look up to that you want to model and emulate is really important. Having equals are very important. So a community of other people who are trying to succeed at this difficult skill is very important. Um, and, and talking to them and trying ideas out with them and, and so on. And having a minus is very important. So, you know, being able to describe what you've learned. So that's why, for instance, today I'll write 10 things I learned from Richard Branson because that helps me um, distill what I've learned and, and try to be able to explain it in a almost beginner's mind voice what it is I've learned. And so when you do that over and over and over again about every sub-skill of the thing you're trying to learn, you'll eventually get a lot better very quickly at what you're learning. And then, of course, trying to improve 1% a day. This is important because it focuses you on every day trying to challenge yourself and get a little bit out of your comfort zone so that you learn more. You only learn outside of your comfort zone. So, for instance, if, I've, if I'm trying to learn basketball and I put a four-foot-tall basketball hoop right next to my desk, well, I'm not going to learn how to play basketball. I'm just going to be able to 100% of the time get baskets. I've got to move the hoop a little further away. I've got to make it a little higher. I've got to get myself out of the comfort zone every day. And, and then what if I'm holding the ball wrong? Well, that's where you know a mentor or YouTube videos or books or whatever will help. And then I've got to challenge myself by playing people roughly equal to me. And then it helps to basically analyze at the end of the day, well, what did I learn? This is the minus. What did I learn? What did I learn better? What do I have to focus on? So in doing that every single day. Yeah, that, that's a great system. And, and I want to stick to the minus uh, piece of that and, you know, kind of your reflection. Um, you know, you're, you're a great writer. And I think the reason why I think, one of the reasons why I think you're such a great writer is how vulnerable you are, right? I mean, you talk about, uh, yeah, the failures with your businesses or some of the struggles with family or, um, 
you know, thoughts of, of suicide and, and you get really deep and vulnerable. And as someone that, um, you know, hasn't really evoked that in, in my writing, which, you know, I'm not a huge writer yet, but, but I aspire to be one day. Do you have any tips as to how you can kind of dip your toes in there? And then also what that means for, uh, your businesses, right? Being vulnerable with your employees or with your customers. Well, I think it's really important because people want to know that you're not an adversary to their agenda. Everyone's got their own agenda. Um, you know, some people want to rise up at their company. Some people want to leave their company and start a business. Some people just want to, you know, they want to be, I shouldn't say just, some people want to be a good family member and their, their company and their income is not as important as being home for their kids. So, so learning, learning to listen to people and hear what their issues are and relating to them and understanding them and, and then serving those issues of other people is what's going to make you a great success. And I think if you're not vulnerable, you're, you're, or at least you, you don't, you don't cop to your own mistakes and misfortunes, it's going to be much harder to relate to other people's uh, emotions and agendas and, and what they want out of life because everybody wants something different out of life and everyone's going to sometimes fail at it and understanding at a deep level what, what failure, look, we all fail. So, so really in, instead of putting on kind of this, this stoic view and saying, well, I can handle the pain and I'm just going to move forward and everybody should be able to handle the pain and, and deal with it. That's, that's not going to, that's not going to really allow you to connect emotionally with other people. We're only here for a short time on this planet. So connecting emotionally uh, with other people is, is how we live. It's, 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 it's you know, community is, is how you live longer. What's the secrets of people who live to age 100 with quality of life is that they have friends and they have people they love and they have loved ones around them. And they have community. And you can only do that if you, if you understand if you're emotional um, uh, scale is, is wide enough. If you, if you can hit the high, if you understand the high points and the low points. Yeah. And, and would you agree that a big piece of that is just removing the ego and it's, um, you know, just allowing yourself to maybe not care what others think. Is that a big piece? Like, do you, do you worry or do you think about when you're writing or when you have these conversations, like, man, I wonder what, my readers are, are, will think of me when I type this or what my customer is going to think of me when I, when I let this out, or is it just at this point, such a muscle you've developed that it, you don't even think that way anymore? Well, it, it's two answers really. And it's yes and no. So, so yes, I do care what, what people think because let's, and let's view it from an entrepreneur point of view. If you make a product, you have to care what people think because you want them to like your product. Um, if you write, if I write something, on one level, I have to care what people think because I want people to like my writing. I can't just put up poetry and say everyone's going to love my poetry um, because most people don't like poetry. Um, but at the same time, if you only write within what you think is accepted, normal writing, like, oh, if I write this, people are going to think I'm a failure and they're never going to hire me. Well, you're going to limit yourself and you're never going to be great at writing, for instance. You're going to you're going to stay within a comfort zone that everyone else is, is comfortable with, but you're never going to stand out versus every other writer. 
And 99.999% of writers, even most writers who consider themselves very good writers, stay within a very narrow comfort zone. And you have to always be willing to, to, to test the limits, to, to challenge that comfort zone. And it doesn't mean shock people. It just means being, being vulnerable to who you are, to admitting a mistake. You know, let's just look at like, I don't know, what's your favorite movie? Mm, the Departed. Um, is that the one with Leonardo DiCaprio and, and Mark Wahlberg? Yeah, I'm, I'm from Boston, so it's kind of a traditional uh, one there. Yeah, so so uh, I'm just trying to remember the movie, but I, but it's a, it's a good one. It's a great movie. I've seen it at least twice, but I always have a hard time remembering. Um, so so Leonardo Di, Di, DiCaprio, you know, every step of the way, he feels like a failure, right? He in the beginning, he has all these doubts about whether he can he can do this, uh, uh, you know, be undercover like that, and Along the way, he meets, you know, more and more people who help him. Like he meets Mark Wahlberg's girlfriend and, uh, you know, and he has his, his people on the force who, who try to help him. And, uh, uh, oh, no, it's, it's, sorry, it's Matt Damon, right? It's, it's Leonardo DiCaprio and Matt Damon, am I right? Yep. Yeah, but Mark Wahlberg is in there too. All right, so I'm trying to remember. <laughs> so, so in any case... It's, it's failing, which kind of drives the movie. They're both trying to succeed at what they do, and yet they're constantly confronted at failure every step of the way. And that's what drives the movie. That's what drives every story. So being vulnerable about your failure tells that you have an honest story because everyone fails. In every movie in the world, like in Star Wars, Luke Skywalker fails in the very beginning to get off the planet. He wants to get off the planet and, and travel to... The, the universe and he fails it's only when all these things happen that he finally gets off the planet so uh failure is the driving force that we have to admit be vulnerable about write about and that's what moves us forward ultimately in our own personal stories well and certainly the fear of failure is something that i think a lot of the listeners struggle with and and you're big on removing fear by practicing gratitude. You know, Tom and I were just talking this morning. You know, we try to write down things or what we do every day, write down things we're grateful for, but just don't feel that we're that good at cultivating gratitude. And you seem to be a master at it. So, how do you practice gratitude on a daily basis? Are you journaling? Are you talking to folks, saying things out loud? What does that look like for you? Well, uh, journaling is really important. So you got to write every single day. I write every single day. Um, and you know, you could even, it doesn't mean writing like writing a novel every single day. It might mean just taking a piece of paper out or two pieces of paper, put your pen on it and just write gibberish for two pages because some days you have writer's block. Um, but you got to write every day because the writing is a way to connect to parts of your brain that, that you might not know are there. And if you never know, if you're never introduced to that part of your brain, I don't know, I feel, it feels like you're leaving a lot of chips on the table, so to speak. Um, you, you're not able to connect fully to who you are. So it's important to, to write every day, at least for me. And, uh, you know, in terms of gratitude, it's very easy to kind of take the easy way out. Like, oh, I'm grateful I have children and I'm grateful I hung out with my friend last night. Um, 
But you know, it's possible. You know, I'm grateful for a cup of coffee. Well, why are you grateful for a cup of coffee? A cup of coffee could be a horrible thing. There's all these people in Brazil working under slave-like conditions, picking the coffee beans that eventually made your cup of coffee. And so you have to kind of think at a deeper level, like, well, what's going on in the world that, that's made me so fortunate that I'm here? And, you know, it's not just being gratitude, like, oh, I'm grateful I'm living in a nice apartment in New York City, or I'm grateful I'm doing a podcast at, at Salesforce, you know, you know, I'm grateful I'm working at salesforce.com, one of the best companies in the world. You know, you have to be really respectful of, of, the, of the people who, are, who have it harder, too. And yeah, you could be grateful. I don't have it. I don't have it as hard as some of those people. That's fine too. But again, just having an acknowledgement and acceptance that we live very special, privileged lives. Just the fact that we could talk on the computer like this and have a podcast and being respectful of that. You know, one one strategy I try to do, which I don't necessarily recommend. Um, but I have I have a ex girlfriend who hated that I did this for some reason, but. Uh, I, I would walk in the street and I would pretend every person, man, woman, child, homeless, you know, not that that's separate from man and woman, but, um, <laughs> you know, everybody was, I would imagine everybody was my daughter and I would smile at them and think to, and picture in my head, this is my daughter because I really, you feel for your kid in a very protective, loving way. Most people do. It's just like this evolutionary thing, like this biological thing. And so if I try to do that with everybody I see in the street, it gives me like this really great feelings towards everyone. And to me, it's very real. Now, you could have other techniques too. You can imagine um, everybody you meet today, this is their last day on earth and they don't know it. And so if you did that, even people you absolutely hate, you would, you would still treat with some respect. Like this is their last day on this planet and they don't know it. And, uh, you know, it's just different things you can do all day long to be, to be grateful. And, you know, it practices happiness and it practices a smile and all these things are good. I love how you, I mean, is, is, you know, kind of crazy as it sounds, you know, seeing everyone as your daughter, even as your mother or your father, that, you know, not that's... my mother. No, not my mother. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an interesting take and. It's something that that's a new approach that that we might try. Um, so I, I appreciate that. You've been crazy gracious with your time. So we want to close with just two quick questions from the audience. Um, you know, what what audience? Where did you get these questions? This is from the listeners. So they've been texted in and emailed in. Um, we let out a few small. We we told a few folks of people that you were coming on um, a very small group, and they had a couple questions that they wanted us to ask you. All right. So how has owning 15 items or less positively benefited your life? Well, first off, I'll say this. Everything you do is going to change. So like well, I started doing this and people said it's minimalist. Well, I'm not a minimalist. I mean, I, I, don't really, I don't really like to buy things because I think every dollar you don't spend on yourself, you could spend – either buying an amazing experience or you can spend helping people. So, um, and I, I would recommend, before I get into the 15 things, I would say one thing that's worth doing 
is try to help people every day or as much as possible, totally anonymously. And they never know who you are and, and you never talk about what you did. So I'm talking about in general a, a theory, but I won't say what I do. Um, so, so, so every dollar I don't spend on myself, like buying a Ferrari or whatever, I get to spend that dollar, you know, maybe helping thousands of people. Um, so, so, so in general, I don't like to have lots of things. The other thing I like to do with money is to have experiences. So I would rather go see a great comedian perform live at Madison Square Garden than buy an extra set of dishes. Um, but in, for a while, what I did was I threw out all my belongings except for just the items in my bag. So it was basically about two outfits and a computer and a phone. And that was and, and that was it. So if I moved and then I would only and I didn't rent it or own. So I would only live in Airbnbs. So I would move into an Airbnb. I would just drop my bag on the floor and pull out, you know, maybe hang up a shirt or two. And I'd go out to the grocery store and buy a toothbrush and a toothpaste. And that's it. I was home. And it's 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 an interesting experience. I wouldn't say it's it's good, better or worse than anybody else's experience, but it changed my life a lot in the sense that I realized, oh, I mean, I did this for years, so oh, I really don't need anything. Like I could live in. I've never lived in a car. Like some people say. Like I interviewed Jewel, the singer, and she was like, oh, I lived out of a car. I've never lived out of a car. I've never been unfortunate enough to do that, but. Um, but I, I realized, oh, I don't really need anything because I've tried this for years and, I didn't, and there was nothing I, I needed at all. Now, I miss things. There's nothing wrong with missing things and being sad a little bit, but I didn't actually need anything to survive. And, but, but, you know, more recently, and I, I haven't really written about this yet, but just in the past few weeks, for various reasons, I decided, you know what? I do want to live someplace that's a little more than just for a few days. And so I, I, and also I wanted to live in an area of New York City where there, where there weren't really any Airbnbs. So for better or for worse, just in the past few weeks, I've, I've uh, rented an apartment um, for the first time in years. Actually, this is the first time in my life I've rented, an I've rented and furnished an apartment. And so I've just done this in the past few weeks. That's big news for the listeners. Everything I've read about James up until this point is that he doesn't have a permanent resident. So big news for James Altucher. <laughs> and and um, it was funny because, I mean, I have very few items in the apartment, but I do feel like, I don't know, like I'm, I'm going to be 50 in three months. And I'll be honest, what happened? I was looking for an Airbnb. Um, so I, 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 I wanted to live for a while in the, I've lived in every area of New York, LA, you know, I've lived all over the country because of this Airbnb stuff. I mean, I spoke at the Airbnb open cause I was like the super guest, but, um, I mean, I've lived in thousands of Airbnbs probably, but, uh, uh, I wanted to live on the Upper West Side for a while and there weren't any Airbnbs available because New York city has various laws that they're cracking down on, on Airbnb. And I called up a friend of mine and I said, I don't know where to live. I can't. I can't find a place. And she said to me, listen, you're going to be 50 in a few months. It's creepy what you're doing. <laughs> you need to move into a place and it's creepy if it's empty. You need to get a bed. You need to get, <laughs> you need to get dishes. Uh, because like what? 
and and she was just blunt with me because I'm I'm single right now. And she said, what girl is going to want to, you don't want the type of girl who just wants to live around in Airbnbs. I mean, maybe she's right, maybe she's wrong. But at the time, I thought she was right. And she said, it's, it, girl's going to think you're creepy if, if you're just living, and that you won't be able to commit if you're just living around in Airbnbs. Now you could say, why do I care what somebody thinks? It's not necessarily that. It's like, I want to, I also want to be with someone who's the type of person who could be loyal and stable and committed to something. And, uh... And this was part of it. And and by the way, I feel like uh, I feel good about it. So 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 you don't stay. So I'm a minimalist of my ists. Like I don't stay committed to anyone. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, I'm a <laughs> um, so so one other question we got was we. Um, it's well documented that back in in the days of of reset, a lot of your customers were gangster rappers like you know, Ice T and and, and Wu Tang Clan. Like, what was that like working with those guys during that time? Well, it's so funny because the music industry in general, of course, has undergone many changes. But back then, it was kind of at its I won't say its peak, but it was it was cresting. It was about to all collapse. And, uh, you know, particularly like in the rap industry, it's, it's very, there's a lot of very difficult personalities, of course. Like these are, you know, in a lot of cases, gangster rap was done by gangsters. They're not nice people in some cases. You know, they're people who have, who have shot at people and, and been shot at, but they, wanted to, but they did want to make something better of themselves and they love music and a lot of them are very talented musicians. But then um, the rap labels themselves, I would say, were more violent and annoying than than the rappers. So it was all run by people who were who were kind of trying to exploit the musicians and trying to exploit everyone around them. And you know, everybody asked for a bribe in that industry if you wanted to work with them, or can you give their cousin work or whatever. And you know, and then nobody wanted to ever pay. So. It was a difficult industry to deal with, but I, I love the music so much that I really wanted to do it, and so I made it. I made it work. Like I would, and this is where having emotional skills is really important. Like I really wanted to make sure these people, the the, the executives at the different rap labels, they were invested in my success emotionally, and and so so they would become. It wasn't like I was just performing a service with them. I would be friends with them. And, and when I needed the money that they owed me, they would, they would delay for a while, but then they would pay. And when I needed new projects, they would find new projects for me to work on. And so, but it was very, I would say it took a toll on me because I didn't necessarily want to be friends with all of them, but you kind of had to be. And I think that's why ultimately I got out of that business. Crazy story, and and the stories could go on and on. But James, we know you're a, a busy man, and we'll we'll let you go here, folks. Please check out James's website. His blog is incredible. His podcast is even more entertaining. You know, I guess he just interviewed Richard Branson, which was news to us. Um, so James, yeah, any today actually, excellent. I'm about to hop on a plane to Orange County. I'll I'll, uh, I'll definitely listen to it. So James, any last words for the audience? Where they can find you? Um, yeah, I know you've authored a couple of books. Uh, any last words though before we sign off? Yeah, if you Google the phrase "I want to die," I'm gonna Google it right now. Put it in quotes. <laughs> I, I want to die. Let's see where I am. 
I've dominated the SEO of Solution. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm number three. So oh I used God. to be number one, but but I think Google what happened? Google <laughs> manually changed their algorithm for the only time ever, and they put the suicide prevention lifeline on uh, as number one. But uh, I want to die. I'm number three, and that's how you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, folks, and that's a true story. I guess the number one source of traffic to James's website is folks typing that that search query in. So we got a lot of work to do on the SEO on the SEO game. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you again, sir. It's been a real pleasure. Have a great day, and and just thanks again. Really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, guys, for listening to that episode with James Altucher. On next week's show, we have The Week of the Wolf, two straight episodes with the Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort. If you'd like to continue supporting the TR Talk podcast, you can do so by heading to iTunes and subscribing, leaving a five-star review, and sharing your favorite episode on social media and tagging us. We look forward to hearing from you next time. Until then, out.